What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. Have you tried that 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 uh, honey I gave you in your in your tea? Was that good? I bet it was. I did. Uh, the honey is gone. <laughs> I figured mean, um, it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't. What all did I put that in? I think I put it on some toast and i had it in a bowl of cereal and i had it in a couple of things of tea <laughs> or maybe just one thing of tea i put a lot of honey in tea so i don't eat near as much honey as i used to well you're not supposed to i was going to ask you about that my mom actually asked about that whether or not uh you were still on your mandated diet that you were on a while back that's easy one no i've gained weight because this covid crap makes you get fat (laughs) all you do is stay home and eat well you could also look at it from the other perspective is the covid crap should actually help you lose weight because you have to stay at home and you can't go out to eat barbecue and hamburgers and pizza you know in, in your home you could be doing a lot more bee work (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I, I like to cook, so it doesn't bother me to cook. I just don't oh, cook as anything else, so yeah. Well, while while we're on the subject of the, the COVID crap, um, hopefully, Shannon, hopefully you're recording. Because <laughs> apparently we're just going to start and go. Um, so Austin and uh, in Travis County, which is the main county here for Austin, just went through and upped some of their requirements and restrictions and starting Monday, actually starting today when everybody's listening to this, not that it matters in the greater scheme of things. um, For people who are listening to this way off in the future, today is June 20, I don't know, (laughs) 3rd, when this airs of 2020. So, you know, if you're listening to this in 2025, this is all irrelevant, but it could be a good history lesson as to how the world got the way it is. (laughs) But anyhow... Um, so the restrictions have actually changed. They went back and forth. Our governor is trying to make things as lax as possible. Our mayor wants to make things a little bit more stringent. Um, you know, the, the whole country as a whole in in the United States tried to go through and, and start reopening things. And as they did, um, cases of COVID-19 and the coronavirus started spiking and, For the longest while, the media was portraying that as, well, but our testing has increased Mm -hmm. and our testing capability has increased. Mm -hmm. And then the reports started coming out when some of the journalists started digging in deeper and it would be like testing was down 11 percent. Cases were reported up, you know, 20 Mm percent. So it's not that the testing is increasing. It's that there are a lot of people out there who are inconsiderate. They don't care necessarily about the health and safety of people around them and their loved ones, and they would rather go and do all the things that we really shouldn't be doing right now and really don't need to do, which is congregating in large groups and, you know, 
the the cool thing is like there's been a lot of protests and stuff going on. There's been a lot of stuff with the Black Lives Matter and and civil rights and human rights and things like that. And you'll see a lot of those people are all wearing masks. And so even though they're in large groups, they are at least wearing masks and they're protecting themselves and they're protecting others. But then a lot of the people that have been doing all of the damaging are not wearing masks. <laughs> and uh, so the destructive behavior kind of goes hand in hand with some of that. But so all of that is basically just to say that wrapping this back around here, um, Austin has now implemented that every single business and every employee inside that business must wear a mask. And anyone who walks through the door of that business must wear a mask. So that starting now, that is the new mandate going forward. And we don't know how long that will necessarily last. Um, they, The governor will not allow them to impose the restrictions on individuals that are just out in public, like on the streets. Um, but if you go into a business, you have to be wearing a mask for the, the safety of yourself and the people around in that business. So we're back to that. And... We're also, you know, we originally were really, really hoping that um, the radio station, that iHeart would go and open the station back up for everybody, at least like for us, because it's kind of an, an interesting flip-flop on us because we're not there Monday through Friday. There's not a ton of people in the building. When we're there on a Saturday or a Sunday, there's usually literally four people in the building. Um, the producer, you and I, and sometimes Bob. <laughs> That's it. Um but they, they were, we were hoping they would open the studios back up on June 1st. They went radio silent, pun intended. And uh, then the next real bit of information that we got was the individuals who had been furloughed, like Eric, uh, that furlough has been bumped for another 90 days. So that more than likely means that there will be no full-on back-to-the-old-days studio time for the next 90 days. So for those of you who have been bearing with us on these, you know, remote and telecommunication broadcasts. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, apparently this is going to be the new normal for a while. So we all better just get used to it. Yeah, we're going to find out what's going to happen here and see what happens. I don't know. It's all going to it, it, sooner or later. Okay. No, you're good. Go ahead. Sooner or later, it will straighten out and everything will be back to normal as the new normal. And uh, hopefully uh, it'll still be going and everything will be good. And Shannon says she wants some fresh bread. Well, uh, I believe that this morning, actually, it depends on, on how quickly things go. But there is, uh, there is some fresh baked bread from Baked Crumb that will be headed your guys' way. And also potentially some fresh baked scones as well so you <laughs> you'll get some goodies that you can have so uh so yeah that's uh that's an easy one man um and also there is some spring honey i can put in a little jar and bring in there so that you can finally try your spring honey breakfast is served there you go. See, it's all good. Now, uh, we're going to be here for five hours today. So, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not quite that long. <laughs> I just figured, you know, if, if there was all those good things coming, then there had to have been the other shoe dropping somewhere. So, <laughs> oh, that's going to be. Oh, by the way, you're right. It's Tuesday we're going to do. Is it Tuesday we're doing the five hours, me and you, Shannon? Is it we're doing it Tuesday? Tuesday. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. This not coming Tuesday, Tuesday or no, no, next not Tuesday? not this coming, the following. 
It'll be the 30th, June 30th. Gotcha. <clears throat> That's going to be a long day for you guys. Yeah, it will. But we will not enforce. We'll uh, through, though. Yeah, that's true. You'll have you'll have little breaks here, little commercials and stuff. Um, we will not make you do a hive jive on top of all of that, so you won't have to worry about that part. We'll have an interview coming up that weekend. Um, we can do a little bit of a tease for it now. We're going to actually have an interview with the folks from Hives for Heroes, and uh, we kind of thought that would be a fitting patriotic way to come out of the Fourth of July holiday weekend. And so that first Monday there on the 6th of July will be the interview with the, the folks from Hives for Heroes, and we'll be talking about all the good things that they do and kind of how they got started. And so that'll be that'll be really cool. Okay. Uh, today, we are going to go through... <laughs> all right. Fair enough, Danielle. Fair enough. Um, we are going to do some listener questions today. And uh, our first listener question ends with PSS or PPS, post postscript, PSS, PPS. I actually, I think uh, it is PPS and I think I've always done PSS, postscript script or post postscript. It can go either way. Oh my God. Um, anyhow, this is a, a listener question from Danielle, but it ends, we're going to start at the very ending. It ends with... If I had a dollar for every time that I heard John say, quote, go through, quote, I'd be able to buy as many beehives as Ken. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think I get that many? (laughs) I put a dollar in and I buy them when I hit X amount. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's why I started laughing whenever I said, all right, today we're going to go through. And then I stopped and I was like, that's where it is. Because after I read this, I was like, under what conditions do I say go through? Is it... Because I know that like a lot of times if you're asking me, well, should I feed this hive or should I do that? You know, the answer may be, well, did you go through the hive? Did you open it up? Did you do an inspection? And I couldn't for the life of me think of like where else in the phrasing I put that. And then, you know, right off right off the bat, man, opened my mouth. And the first thing was we're going to go through. And I was like, well, son of a. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or or they can do. Now, she must not be like me, and we'll talk about that in another time, but all the freebies. We got so many freebies. Yeah, they're not free, folks. <laughs> well, we will, uh, yeah, Ken's been having Swarmageddon out there at his place, and we will address that in this week's bonus episode for everybody on Patreon. Um, and for those of you on Patreon, we will be having an announcement that we will make on that episode for you all as well. <laughs> uh, so anyhow. All right. So our, if you're ready, we can dive into these listener questions. We'll start with Danielle's. Are you good to go? I'm ready. I'm right here. You're ready. Right here. Ain't got nowhere else to go. I'm, I'm right stuck. Here. I'm right here. <laughs> right here. You're not over there. You're right here. Right here. I'm in the okay, station. So, I know. Don't brag. Uh, let's see. Okay. So Danielle starts off and she says, Hey guys, I wanted to start with a huge thank you for doing the show. As of today, I have listened to every episode. I am a first year beekeeper and I have learned so much. I am already totally addicted at the moment. I only have two colonies, but I'm sure that that won't last long. I wanted to ask your opinion because I feel like I'm getting opposite advice. 
My mentor told me several several things that I'm not sure that I agree with. But again, I'm new at the moment, so I'm doing what I'm told. So here's some basics first. I live outside of Waco, Texas. My climate and flora is basically the same as your guys' down there in Austin, which is extremely helpful. I have two Langstroth hives, both with a deep and a medium. My mentor is also the man that sold me the bees. He has been really good to me, and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus at all, but the more that I learn and the more I'm not sure what he's saying. Okay, so the more that I learn, the more I'm not sure what he's saying is actually good advice. So here are some things that my mentor told me. Number one, offset the medium just slightly so that they can vent through the gaps. He told me to do this in the extreme summer heat. My boxes do not have an inner cover or ventilated holes. That's how I was, that's how it was sold to me. So that's kind of the setup that she's got. If I need to add ventilation, do I just do that in the top super? Not sure what the best way to do this would be since it seems that the holes should be in the top box. Okay, so we'll pause there for a moment. Have you ever seen that before, Ken, where they, they like, you'll have one box or even two boxes that will be stacked right. And then the next box will be like a quarter of an inch back. And so it leaves a, a tiny little gap on the front lip where the, the bottom box is sticking out a little bit further. And then on the back box, the, the top box overhangs it a little bit further. Have you ever seen anybody do that when you've been out looking at any hives anywhere? When I was a kid, when we was hunting down South Texas, I've seen it down there. But I just thought they were drunk and didn't stack the boxes right. Yeah. So especially some of the the old school beekeepers and stuff, that is what they would do. They would offset the boxes like that. And I have come across several where a lot of times it's the boxes that are abandoned. We'll we'll get a call and there's a legitimate quote unquote beehive and it's a Langstroth box or a tower of Langstroth boxes and they'll be offset like that. And uh, what ends up happening is so my, my biggest concern, number one, is that when you first do that, yes, you are adding ventilation. You are making it to where airflow comes in and out of that colony better. Um, but you're also exposing the same length of distance as the main entrance at the bottom in two, minimum, two separate locations above that, if not four. Because if you put another box on top of that and you line it up like it's supposed to be, then you've got, you know, double the exposure in different areas. All of those openings are perfect opportunities for ants and hive beetles. And if you have the openings too big, wasps and other predatory or um, opportunistic critters to find ways into your hive. The second thing is if you do it and it rains a lot, guess where all that rainwater is going to go? Right into your hive. Mm -hmm. Now, granted... Once it's done, if you leave it for long enough, the bees are going to propolize over most of the openings and they'll only leave bee-sized openings in a few spots here and there. Now, the fact that the bees propolize it over tells me they don't want that much opening. They don't want that much airflow and draft. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother propolizing it shut. Mm -hmm. So... When you do it, yes, you are giving them ventilation, but it kind of comes back to the same concept as a screen bottom board. The bees purposefully search out a cavity that is as enclosed as possible, 
and they want that cavity to be something that has an opening that is small enough, you know, around that three inch range that they can guard it really well. And they want it to be nice and enclosed. They want it to be airtight from or weather tight, at least, you know, so that rain and the elements and things like that can't get in there. And then that's how they regulate their temperature. They bring in moisture and they fan it to cool it off and they vibrate to generate heat to warm it up. When you give them a lot more exposure, then they have to work harder to go through and do some of those natural processes that they would not have chosen otherwise, right? So you can do it. It's And I'm not going to say that it is a bad thing, but I am going to say that when you do it and you leave it that way and you watch what the bees do, they close some of that up. So it may not be the best solution from the bee standpoint. The other thing is going to be if you need ventilation, there's a lot of other things you can do to get ventilation, which at the very least will prevent water from getting inside your hive. One of those could be just simply propping the lid up at an angle just ever so slightly by sticking a like a stick or something underneath there or a small rock and that will allow the heat to come up into that top chamber and then come out of the hive if you have an inner cover you can go through and you can chisel if it does not have an actual ventilation piece in it and this is something that uh, you and i had talked about and you had went through and done ken mm -hmm. you can create a tiny little vent in the inner cover in the lip of the inner cover in the front by just chiseling out a little rectangular piece on that top board and then you've got a vent in there and that'll allow the heat to come out the top and if the bees need to they can get up there and fan and they can push it out that direction and everything now if you don't have an inner cover i would suggest getting one because if you like if you're just using migratory tops then go ahead and get you a regular inner cover and a regular telescoping top which is one of the ones that actually kind of extends over the edges of the hive a little bit and put those into play because with a migratory top, if you were to stick a stick in there and prop it up, you're still going to create the same principal problem that you would if you offset the boxes. And that is you've now opened up a whole sliver uh, that goes directly into your colony. When you use the inner cover and you put the little vent in the front of it or you put a stick in the top of it and then set the lid on top of that so that the lid's propped up a little bit, you've opened it up, but that inner cover has a hole in the very center that the bees can still guard as their entrance and it's protected as opposed to having an entire line all the way down the side that they have to go through and guard. And it just makes it a little bit easier for everybody to uh, maintain the status quo and the peace there. So um, it is not, again, just to recap, it is not a bad thing, but it's not necessarily something that I would do. And there could be disadvantages that come along with it. So we'll we'll say that for that one. You have any any thoughts on your end before I move on to the second one? And here? the inner cover also makes it a lot easier for you. Uh, you go get your rapid round feeder set on top of there. It makes it a lot easier to feed them too. Now you will have to have a medium or a shallow empty frame to set on to set box, on there to box. feed a box yes uh, i said frame yeah box and uh it but it does make it a lot easier to help feed those bees if you have a rapid round well it doesn't even have to be a rapid round most all of the feeders are designed to set on top of an inner cover yep. and the inner cover keeps the bees from both gluing the comb like the top of the frames they'll build comb between those and, you know, it keeps them from gluing that to the lid or gluing it to the feeder and, and you have another problem. So plus it makes it to where a lot of those feeders, you can then open it up and refill the feeder without 
actually open up the colony and exposing the bees. Yep. So it does definitely help. All right. So number two on things that uh, Danielle's mentor told her. He said that there is no good that can come from checking my brood box during the flow because every time you open the open it up, it makes them stop producing for days so that they can focus on putting everything back the way that they want it. Basically, I'm interrupting their groove, which makes sense, but clearly, I need to be checking the health of my hive. Also, my strong hive had queen cups at the last inspection, so I feel like that I should be watching that situation. I did find the queen, and I removed the cups. There were no eggs or anything in them, and I added more frames at my last inspection. They're doing amazing and running out of room, but apparently the wax foundation is on back order, so I'm stuck with nothing to put in except foundationless frames until it comes in. I'd prefer not to do that because then I won't have the drawn comb to use as a resource for next year, but if I, do, if I don't do something soon, they may swarm. Um, and if I can't open up and go down and do an inspection in the bottom box, then how am I supposed to monitor for that? So now then back to that first part of that. There is some truth to this process, right? When you open up the colony, you do disrupt their, their groove, right? But how many times have you, well, if you're gentle and you go slow, Ken, and mm-hmm. you're not you're not doing a lot of, of change, right? So if you're gentle and you go through an inspection, how many times have you done an inspection and you pull out the comb that the queen is on and she just continues laying? She just walks to the next cell, puts her butt down in there, lays an egg, moves to the next cell, you know, drops the abdomen down in there, lays an egg. Um, I have seen it time and time and time and time again. So did I disrupt the queen? No. I didn't touch her. I didn't mess with her. I was gentle and slow, and I didn't oversmoke the colony. I didn't do any major disruptions or make them all mad. And in that respect, the queen didn't get disrupted at all. Also, when you're going through and doing your inspection, again, if you're gentle and you go slow and you put every frame back in the exact same order that you took it out of, There is very little, if any, repair work that needs to be done, and you didn't drastically screw things up and mess up their pattern and their storage and their organization because you put it all back exactly the way that it was. So in those cases, no, you have not disrupted the flow. Now, you may, they may take a little while and they may be upset because, you know, everything came apart and they're on edge or whatnot. So yeah, you may disrupt them in that regard for a little bit, but it's not going to cause such a big issue. On the other hand, though, especially depending on the type of hive that you have, when you're in the peak of the main flow, like by the time we get into June, very rarely do I go all the way into the brood nest if I don't see any other indications that something is wrong. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, if it's a top bar, all of that brand new fresh wax at the back of the colony that you would have to go through to get to the brood nest is super soft and super heavy and will break off in a heartbeat, and you don't want to mess that up. In a Langstroth, every box that you have on top of there that you have to remove that is full of nectar and honey weighs a ton, and you have to hoist all those suckers up and turn and bend and set them down, and that is no fun either. So we don't do a lot of really deep inspections in June, and yes, it is mainly because of that. What we're looking for is how much room do they have left and where they're building at, 
and have they capped their food stores yet? And we're monitoring that. And that's kind of our main thing that we do in June. Now, again, if I do see something that looks a little bit out of place or if I need to check for something or if it's been a while, I will absolutely tear it all the way down to the bottom box and I will go through and do that full inspection. Now, the other part of that, she mentions in there about her foundationless frames. Um, in reality, if you did put a box of foundationless frames up there and they go up and they draw that comb out, if they pack it full of food and you don't want to do a crush and strain method and cut that out and lose the resources, then take the medium box that does have foundation and extract that box and leave them with the box that was foundationless and leave them with that food. And if they draw it out or they draw some of it out, but they don't necessarily do all of it, take those frames, freeze them, and then you still have them for next year. Like there's nothing that says that you absolutely have to extract that box. If you've got four boxes that are all capped honey, you can pick which two of those boxes you want to go through and, and extract. And a lot of times we'll purposely move boxes up into the top position so that they will go through and that will be the one that they use to backfill and cap all the nectar and then make honey in it. Because then we can turn around and extract that box and get rid of the old nasty comb that may have always been stuck down lower, right? So you can move those around when it comes time to the honey harvest or before the nectar flow starts so that you know that that's the box they're going to put stuff in. So there's lots of different things that you can do there. I wouldn't be too concerned about doing it foundationless. Um, you know, obviously, if I do top bars, they're all foundationless. But even in my Langstroth's, 50% of the, the frames in there are foundationless frames. We go through and, and we pop the foundations out of there um, or they started off with foundation. We've cleaned them out or we've popped them out and then we've put them back in as foundationless and I will use that for cut comb honey, but I leave just as many of them in the colony as well and the bees get to choose what they need. Do they want drone comb? Do they want, you know, worker comb? What size of cell do they want? Like it's all up to them and then it's more natural. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that last part. Uh, let's see. So... In closing, she says, I so appreciate having some someone so knowledgeable to get advice from. Thank you guys so much for sharing your expertise with us. And P.S. If that guy is still selling any drawn comb, I would love to cheat like Ken. Just let me know. <laughs> no, she don't want that. Yep. Go ahead, Ken. Tell her why. Uh, he uses a... It's like a nerve gas to keep the uh, wax moths from the greater wax moths from eating it and the bees don't like it at all. Now, some of them do. I don't know why, but most of them do not like it. Well, let's put it this way. 98% of them do not like it and they don't right now we got swarms moving in. They'll have this comb in there and I'll have, and they're building in a spot. There's no comb. They're drawing wax over there, not in the comb that's there. So, But now, I think if I'd have been using medium boxes with the comb that did not go, that did not have the gas put on it, I think they would have been fine. So maybe I need yep. to go to three three mediums, John. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I, I noticed that on uh, some of the splits and stuff that we did over here that we also used some of that comb from you, and it was – it was kind of the same way. Like they really didn't want to mess with it. And they would, they would pick like one comb and they would kind of go through and they would start doing their stuff. But yeah, they, they weren't on it that much. And I think, I mean, 
he said nerve gas, right? But he also he also claimed that it was odorless, and he claimed that it was this other stuff. And and I don't know in retrospect. I don't think it was. I think that he was using. Um, well, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what he was using. Um, but it was, you know, my speculation was that it was permethrin, um, permamoth, basically. And but even like you put yours out in the carport. I had mine in the garage for over a month before we ever actually got to the point to start using it. And that stuff still had an odor to it. And it's still and of does. course. Yeah, and, and of course, if we can detect it and smell it, then you know the bees absolutely can, mm-hmm. and they they just they didn't want to have anything to do with it. That's kind of like that uh, last year when it was super hot, and we had to go through and we had to treat one of those colonies, and we couldn't use the formic acid, so we used the Apigard, which was the thymol, and it off-gassed so quickly to the point that it, it either chased off the bees or, or killed them. Um, all of that comb... Smells like thymol. Smells like thyme. Yep. And then the other bees didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were all over on the side of the box, and they weren't out on the frames, you know, and it was so, it was, it can definitely impact what you're doing. So, although it sounded like a great deal, and the the mediums, the honey super frames that were full of comb, those actually didn't do that bad. Like you said, it was the deeps that had been treated that were locked into that storage container those are the ones that the bees just really don't want to have nothing to do with. Yep. I don't know. I don't get that. If you, if you can, like John tells me, make the bees draw their comb and use that. Make what they what they make is the best. And it is. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. And they make it, especially like these swarms that we're going to talk about later. Uh, when they come in, they are primed and prepped and ready to draw wax. And so giving them comb, uh, like a frame or two of comb to kind of help them boost and get started is okay. But you don't want to fill their whole box up with comb because they're going to draw out a ton of comb really quickly because that's what they're ready to do. That's their natural and instinctive drive is to do that. So, okay, so we're going to move on to our next listener question. This one is from Heath. And Heath says, hi, John and Ken, longtime listener, first time, quote, caller. <laughs> uh, I had a unique bee week, and I was wondering if you could help me explain what was possibly going on. I'm a first year beekeeper, so bear with me. Last Sunday, I looked out in my yard and the entire yard was swarming with bees, a hundred times more bees than their usual late afternoon buzz around the hive. About 20 minutes later, When they all seemed to dissipate, I went out to check and see what was going on. All of those bees were on the face of the hive, and the queen was on the ground in front of the hive. And that's in capital letters. Um, Seems to me that they were trying to swarm. But the bees did not follow the queen. She was walking around on her own, and I was able to scoop her up. I did not lose any bees in the process, and upon inspecting the hive, I did find some swarm cells. Was there something wrong with the queen that I just wasn't aware of? Was she laying, or she was laying incredibly, it seemed. Why wouldn't the bees follow her? I am now allowing them to create a new queen, and I released the old queen at a nearby park. I really felt too bad to kill her. Have you seen this before? Heath. Okay, so. Basically, yes. um, That was exactly what occurred. That was a swarm. And yes, she was laying exceptionally well, and the colony was doing exceptional, which is why they swarm. They don't swarm because they're upset about something. They swarm because they have checked 
checked off every item on their bucket list. They have achieved everything that they need to to be considered successful and rich and wealthy from a B standpoint. And when you do that, that's when it is time to divide and share that wealth. So you divide and you go make a new creature, a new entity, a new colony. And so that is that is nature and that is a good sign that they're wanting to do that because that means that they are strong and healthy. Now, what happened to the queen? Okay, that's a whole different story. It could be that the queen you purchased was a marked and or clipped queen. If she was clipped, that actually means that the beekeeper selected one set of the four wings and cut it in half. It's not enough that it permanently, like it doesn't, well, we don't know because we can't feel what the bee feels, so I can't say it doesn't hurt the bee, but it allows her to go through and do her normal function, but she cannot fly. With that clipped wing, she cannot fly. Also, if something else happened to her and she got injured in some way and caused her not to be able to fly, this is what occurred. They got ready. They were all prepped. It was good to go. It's time. They send out the signals. Everybody starts flowing out of the hive. They they rush out in this mass, just flood of bees. They start doing their huge hurricane circle in the area, and they all go up and they form the bivouac, which is the swarm cluster on something nearby. Well, the queen rushed out with them and fell straight to the ground because for whatever reason, she can't fly. So she just went... That was it. She's done. She hit the ground. Now, that swarm cluster that is somewhere else at this point, up on a tree branch or a fence post or the eave of your house, they go through and they do roll call. And when they do, they're like, well, crap, the queen's not here. She must not have left the house. So then they all return in mass right back to the hive and they pile up on the front of it. And very slowly, they don't want to go in because the whole point was they wanted to leave, right? So they pile up on the front. And if the queen doesn't come and join them, then they very slowly go back into the hive. Now, what could have been done is when you found the queen and you found that she was down there, you could have, you know, you've got options. If you wanted additional hives, you could have made a split. You could have taken that queen and put her into the new colony, taken a couple of frames that had, uh, well, basically you could have just taken a couple of frames of, of kind of anything at that point because you already have the swarm that wants to leave balled up on the front of your hive. So you already have the bees selected that don't want to be there anymore. So you can take that box and you could literally just scoop them all straight down into the box with the new queen, have a frame or two in there for them to kind of get things going and set them off to the side with the empty foundation frames so that they can start drawing out new comb and ta-da, you've got a new colony. But keep in mind that that queen cannot fly. So Whenever, you know, next year comes around, if they try that again, you're going to have the same problem. This is the same thing that can occur sometimes if you have a queen excluder on the bottom or you're using a top bar with one of the queen excluder entrance discs and you have it on queen exclude and they try to fly. They try to swarm. The queen gets trapped inside the hive. The swarm leaves. They take roll call. They realize that she's not there and then they come back to the colony. Now, what would have occurred or what is probably possibly going to occur is that they still have way too many bees. And the queen, since how she fell out of the hive, more than likely would not have made it back into the hive. She might have eventually crawled around and crawled up and crawled back in the entrance, but more than likely she wasn't going to. If she did, and she's still there when one of those virgin queens hatches, the virgin queen's going to kill her. So the process is going to go forward no matter what. When that occurs, and he did send a follow-up email, which I don't have on here, but I, I can summarize it. 
So about a week later, um, this entire process repeated itself almost exactly. All of the bees came out of the colony. They went around. They did the swarm. They flew off somewhere, and then they came back, and they balled up on the front of the hive again. Now, what has occurred in this situation is that the virgin queen emerged. Mm-hmm. And two things could have occurred here. If they emerged and the colony segregated her off or took her and then left with a virgin swarm, that would have happened and they would have been fine. But if the swarm was a little bit delayed and the virgin queen emerged and assassinated all of the other potential queens in the colony, now she's the only queen. But the colony still feels like it's cramped and crowded and it wants to divide. So it tried to leave, but she didn't go with them. She was like, nope, my job is to stay here. So when they flew off, again, they don't have a queen with them, so they came back home. So in this situation, really, you know, they're they're trying this, but giving them additional space is really the only thing that can kind of be done at that point. Um, unless you you if you don't want additional colonies, then yeah, you've got to get another box, get some more frames, put them on there. Maybe do some checkerboarding of some of them, you know, just to, to help pull them up into those areas and help them spread out so they don't feel so congested. But uh, but that's what occurred. For whatever reason, something was wrong with the queen. Um, on that last little side note, and it, it, it does sound more peaceful, um, you know, I took the queen and released her in a nearby park because I felt bad to kill her. Well, unfortunately, she's dead, um, mainly because she can't fly. And so any little critter that's bigger than her is going to snatch her up, be it a lizard, a spider, a bird. She can't get away from them. Secondly, she cannot survive without the colony. She can drink, but she can drink honey. She can drink nectar. She can drink um, water, but she's not going to forage for herself. And she really thrives on royal jelly and there's nobody there to clean her there's nobody there to feed her so she's going to starve and die from that perspective as well and there's nobody to guard her so it does sound better you know oh she went out to pasture and it was a beautiful thing but unfortunately it was still the same outcome as if you would have just done it there at the house (laughs) so yeah do like max says reach over and cut them in half with a with the tool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I usually take their heads off and then I put them into a vial of alcohol, um, of Everclear, actually. Use them to make a tincture so that you've got queen pheromone and stuff in it. And then I can mix that in. Uh, uh, Mescal using a queen. <laughs> Instead of a worm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So you ready for the next question? Well, yeah, let's go. All right. This one comes from Daniel, and Daniel says, Guys, I have a couple of questions that maybe you guys can help guide me in the right direction on. I have been seeing several things at recent meetings and in recent talks at the Bee Supply Local Place about Super DFM and treating your colonies with it either bi-monthly or monthly. Is this practice something that you're familiar with, and would you recommend it? So we'll stop there real quick. Super DFM is a mixture of pre- and probiotics for bees. And the specific formulation of Super DFM is it's supposed to be consumed in its dry form. So what you can do is, like for us, when we're feeding the pollen powder at certain times of the year, sometimes I will take the Super DFM and I will actually mix it into the pollen powder and then put it into the pollen feeder 
and allow them to go through and forage it. And they're picking up this while they're doing it. And then, you know, it gets mixed in with their food, but they also get it on them and in them as they go through and clean themselves. Um, it can also be sprinkled directly on top of the frames if you're using a Langstroth or a Wari. You can't really do it on a top bar because there is no opening between the bars. So, But you can sprinkle it directly on top of the frames as the bees go up to clean up this stuff because they don't want it in their colony. They again pick it up and pull it into their system. Um, some of the probiotics that like Ken and I use are specifically formulated and designed to go into a sugar syrup. So you actually mix it into your sugar syrup when you're feeding and they take in the, the pre and probiotics that way. So that is the, the, the kind of long and the short of it. But yes, I definitely advocate adding pre and probiotics that are specifically for bees that you know are going to do well because it does help that gut microbiome. And just like for us, the healthier the gut biome is, the healthier the actual creature is. So for a human, for a bee, doesn't matter. If you've got the good gut flora going on in there, then your immune system is stronger. You can fight off diseases. You digest things better. You get more nutrients from the things that you consume. So it is better all the way around. So yes, there is some credence to that, and it is worth looking into for some beekeepers out there for sure. Um, you did get some of that stuff before from Callahan's, right? Not the DMF or DFM, but you got the, the small container that was made to mix into the sugar feed, right? Yeah. And I've got it from other places too, but yeah, yeah, we use it. Okay. So next question, what is your opinion on using a screened inner cover to provide more ventilation? We currently use basic inner covers with a top entrance, but it doesn't seem like the bees use the top entrance at all. And I'm looking for some extra ventilation due to a good bit of bearding on a hot, humid day. We're in northwestern North Carolina and run screen bottom boards and slatted racks currently on all but two of our colonies and have two solid bottom boards with slatted racks on those. Just looking for some more ventilation and didn't know if this would be a good idea for hot summer months or not. So if you've got an inner cover, and you've got a regular telescoping lid. That inner cover has a hole in the center of it. The telescoping lid acts as an attic, and the heat goes up into that area and kind of stays. If you've got a vented inner cover, which basically has the slit in it where it's got a top entrance, if you turn that one way or the other, right, if you've got it down, then it's directly in with the bees, and the bees can guard it. They may or may not use it for an entrance, but they can guard it and they can also use it to push air out of the colony. If you turn it with the, the slit facing up, then what it does is it vents that attic space up there. If you take that inner cover out and you replace it with a screened inner cover, and that screened inner cover does not have a top entrance, you really haven't done anything except replace wood with wire because there's still going to be heat trapped in that attic and there's nowhere for it to escape and nowhere to go. So regardless which type you use, you definitely want to make sure that it has a slit in there to vent that outside of the colony. That's kind of the main thing is to help vent it outside of the colony. Um, beyond that, though, it is 100% just preference. It is totally up to you whether or not you use a screened bottom and a screen top, whether or not you use slatted racks or not. Um, all of that stuff is completely preferential and it is not going to detrimentally, especially in the, the case of like the screened inner cover, it is not detrimentally going to hurt the bees um, to go through and do that. But screened inner covers a lot of times for me 
um, would be used more if I have to transport the colony on a super hot day and I want to make sure they've got maximum ventilation. I'll put a screen inner cover on there and no lid and strap that sucker down and move it that way. Um, but as far as leaving them in the, the colony just to have them that way, then no, we don't, we don't necessarily do that, but that's just my preference. So, um, last thing here, Daniel says, I have recently seen a landing board that had a porch roof of sorts on some local hives here in the area. And it seems that it would keep the rain off of the landing board. And it makes the entrance a little bit cooler since how it's in the shade when the sun is on the front of the hive. I have heard the gentleman stating that running these helps keep the snow off in the winter and prolongs the life of the bottom board. What are your thoughts on this? I've not ever seen that. It sounds kind of interesting, but I think that it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, a lot of times we don't paint the, well, you don't ever paint the the top side of your bottom board that is going to be inside the colony. Sometimes the landing strip out on the front is painted, but not necessarily always. And whenever you go through and provide that little overhang and shade there, you're providing a place that, again, if it does rain, it's not getting on that raw wood, which is going to increase the life of the wood. And the sun not shining directly on that raw wood is going to increase the life of the wood. So it makes perfect sense all the way around on it. Um, I think it would be interesting. I don't think the bees are going to care one way or the other, honestly. Um, most of the places they choose, I mean, it could be if it's a tree, sometimes they got front porches, sometimes they don't, sometimes they have overhangs, sometimes they don't. Um, the bees aren't really going to care too much on that, but who knows? It, it might go through and help out. Um, and also just as a, cause we have had a couple of people in here, you know, talking about different things like this. Keep in mind that, uh, bearding is a natural thing and the bees are going to do it based on how hot it is, how dense their population are, is, are, <laughs> and how humid it is both outside the colony and inside the colony. It is a normal thing. Bearding does not always mean, oh my God, my colony is going to swarm. Bearding primarily right off the bat, first and foremost means it's hot. We're dehydrating a lot of nectar, which means the inside of the colony is really humid. Y'all are just standing around taking up space and generating heat. So get out. <laughs> like that's kind of where bearding comes to. Um, and then also to go back really quick, because there was one thing in uh, this previous email. Oh, yes. Okay, so back to Danielle's email in regards to the things that her mentor told her. She did mention that there was a lot of queen cups and the queen cups were empty. And I just want to point out that a normal healthy hive, the worker bees always make queen cups. They will be in the smallest nuke. They will be in the biggest colony. You can go in and cut them out to your heart's content. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to build them right back. Mm -hmm. They will put them right back in there. So that little bell cup, that little top of an acorn that is always in the colony, it's always there. That does not mean that they're going to swarm. They build them almost like practice. They build them to have just in case the day ever comes that they want to do it. But them being present does not encourage swarming. It does not make them want to swarm. And if they want to swarm and you cut all those out of there, they'll build them back within a day and they're going to go ahead and do what they want to do. So do not worry about a queen cup. A queen cup is always an empty cell that was permanently built into the comb for the purpose of a future potential queen when the colony decides to swarm. The queen herself will absolutely not lay in those cups just for, you know, 
I was going to say bad practice words. For, for giggles. <laughs> for, for giggles. Yeah, practice. She's not going to do that just because. She only does that when a swarm is needed and she doesn't feel like her pheromones are being spread properly throughout the, the colony. So don't worry about those too much. That's not uh, not not really a big thing there. Um, all right, so we are we're trucking right along on the time clock here. We've got a long episode going. I do still have a couple of more questions that we could do. Looks like just two more, really, or two more listeners anyway. Um, well, technically, I could do three. So the next one here comes from Jamie, and Jamie says, "Hi, fellas. Hope y'all are staying cool and healthy." My husband, Shannon, and I are second-year beekeepers and ran into a few issues this weekend and really would appreciate your guidance. One of our colonies is using the space below the super frames to build out and store honey over the top of the brood nest. Now, what that means is you got your bottom box, your deep or whatever your bottom box is, and then the space from the top of those frames to the bottom of the frames on the box above it, the bees have built burr comb which they always build as drone comb because it's the only place they can lay drones. Once they're done with the drones and the drones have hatched out, it then becomes storage space and they fill it with nectar and cap it and it becomes capped honey. So that right there, right off the bat, that's what's occurred. So then we go on and we say, this may be our fault since we waited too long to put another super on, but our super order was delayed. Well, as you can imagine, It was quite a mess when we opened it up and honey was oozing everywhere. We tried to start scraping the honey off the top brood nest and tried to remove it and clean it as quickly as possible. But as soon as we started, all hell broke loose and my husband immediately took four stings. So we closed them up as quickly as we could. We got no inspection done, no more cleaning. And I know it's going to be another big mess when we go back and open it up. Any suggestions on how we could clean this up without totally pissing off all these spicy little ladies? <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer no, is no. <laughs> and then all, no. all your neighbors are going to come over and visit you, too, because they can smell the honey. That's possibly true, too. So you you have to be quick. You have to be, you know, as, as exacting as you possibly can. So you're going to do, you know, your normal smoke puff at the entrance and then up into the entrance, open the inner cover, do a couple of puffs under there, close it, wait for 30 seconds, open everything up, open up the boxes. You're going to, two of you work in tandem on this, pick up the bottom, the, the pick up the top box, turn it on its end so that you're looking at all of the frames like they would be in a bookcase. And one of you smoke the bottom of that box. So all the bees come off of the comb there and you immediately start scraping all the stuff off the bottom of it. The other one, smoke the hell out of the top of that bottom box. Get all the bees to go down between the frames and then immediately start scraping. They're not going to be happy, but the best thing that you can do is if you can get the bees to leave the area, at least when you're scraping, you're not going to cut the bees because if you crush and cut the bees, they release the pheromone and then everybody really gets mad. But you're just, you just got to do it. You got to buckle down and do it and go through it. So... She has a PS down here. She also has another question, but she has a PS down here. Um, any suggestions on ventilated bee suits that might be sting proof ish? Um, we are very shook by this weekend's events. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so, yes, having proper attire, proper bee fits. <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Let's just redo this whole thing. Start over, Shannon. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay, so having proper attire, having proper bee suits, 
Definitely helps if you're going to have a little bit spicier ladies or if you've got to do some really intensive maintenance that's just going to piss the bees off. Having the proper things definitely helps. Now, no matter what, bees are going to sting your hands through leather gloves, through lambskin, through nitrile gloves. They absolutely can sting you. They can sting you through welding gloves. So if you make them mad enough, there's nothing going to stop them from stinging your hands. The rest of your body, on the other hand, if you have a ventilated suit, it does help keep the bees from getting you. Anytime you buy a bee suit, regardless if it's ventilated or not, buy it at least one size larger than what the measurements say would fit you. You don't want it to be a sexy looking skin tight outfit. You want it to be a big, billowy, poofy marshmallow. And the point of that is because if you move and bend and it compresses down on your skin, then the bees can still sting you through the suit. So you want to have that extra room and the the triple layer definitely helps with that as well, but still buy it one size larger than you think. Um, As far as recommendations, the top of the line out there is still Ultra Breeze. They have metal zippers. They have a version that seriously zips all the way up to your hips. Um, It is the easiest to get in and out of. The zippers hold up the best, but it is also the most expensive. There are now other versions that are off-brands of Ultra Breeze that have some of these same characteristics. They have the metal zippers. They may not zip up as far, but they're still pretty good, but they still have a pretty good little price tag with them. Um, Man Lake and Daydamp both sell their own versions of ventilated suits. The type that I buy is kind of the actually the budget version of suit that comes from Man Lake, and it's the unbranded version. It doesn't have anybody's logo. It doesn't say honey anything on it. It's just a white suit. There is no branding on it. And it's, I want to say, usually on sale for like $125. So that's not bad considering the others are like $300. Um, downside, though, they have plastic zippers, and the plastic zippers suck. And they break, the teeth break on, uh, always on the bottom, like where if you were going to unzip from the crotch up, because it can go both directions, that bottom one always gets messed up when you're going through and washing the suit and stuff. And I usually have to repair them. And then the little loops and rings that you use to hook your fingers through to pull the zippers, those can break off as well. So they do have some disadvantages, just like anything in life, you get what you pay for. Um, We go through our suits and we treat them like we don't treat them very well at all when we're doing the bee removals. Um, they get ripped, they get torn, they get set on fire. So I'm not spending $300 on a suit that I know we're going to tear all to pieces, you know, in the matter of a season, um, which is why I go through and I do those, uh, those other ones. So, um, all right. So then Jamie had a second question in here and it goes, we may have a queenless colony and we want to do a combine using newspaper. The queenless is a 10 frame Lang and the queen right colony that we would like to combine it with is a nuke. We plan to put the nuke on the lang with plywood cut out to cover the rest of the space, and I think I've got all the steps down, but I'm worried that the colony, the nuke, that is being moved for the combine won't orient on the new location and may return to the old location. Is this usually a problem? If so, any suggestions? Um, basically, no, 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 no. They're doing a newspaper combine. Okay. They've got a colony. They've got a colony that's queenless. It doesn't mean it's laying worker. It just means it's queenless. Right. And so their solution is going to be to go through and combine these. So typically what I would say is that your queen right colony, let's, let's ignore the specifics of this for a minute. The queen right colony that you're keeping the queen goes on the bottom. The colony that doesn't have a queen that you want to combine goes on the top. And then you put those newspapers between there 
and you make sure there is no other entrance except the main entrance at the bottom and you put just a couple tiny little slits in there. Now, if the colony is really big or really strong, you might want to make that newspaper, you know, two or three or four layers thick to make it take a little bit more time to get through there. But you put the newspaper between them, you set them on there. Their only choice is to chew through that paper. And as they do through those little slits, they can communicate with the bees below. They will pass the pheromones from the queen in the colony below up to that other colony. And they'll, they'll transfer food and all that stuff. And that smell will spread up through the colony so that by the time they do gain access to the bottom colony... They're familiar with all that smell. They they accept it as their colony. And then when they come out, they've been through such a traumatic experience that not traumatic as in like, oh, my God, my world's over. But traumatic as in like we haven't been able to leave our house for two days and there's these new bees, there's new comb, like everything's new. So when they come out and they come out that new entrance, they're going to reorient and they're going to then make everything about that new place and it should be perfectly fine. Now, in the scenario here, though, Jamie and Shannon have a nuke, which is a small box, and that's the one that has the good queen, and then they've got a full-size 10-frame box that they need to requeen with that nuke. That's going to be a challenge because you can't put the nuke on the bottom. It's just not going to work. <laughs> so you have to put the nuke on the top, which means you've trapped the queen and all the bees up there, but the same process is still going to apply as they chew through the pheromones will cross. They hopefully will accept the queen down into that other colony. And then as that colony on the top comes out the bottom, they should completely reorient on where they're at. You know, everything has kind of changed in the world. So it shouldn't be too big of a deal. And if it ever is, and you have a bunch of bees that show up at the other place, just stick you a box over there in the late afternoon, catch all the foragers that are coming back and take them over and dump them back into their hive. <laughs> Okay, hang on just a second. So I think we can uh, we can wrap up this one here pretty quickly. I think I flip-flopped one. There was one in there from Mike and Angus. Okay. All right, so two more. Two more real quick. All right. This one comes from Jared, and the title is COVID Package, which when I read it, I was like, what? Um, All the bees got masks. Yeah, or I hope so. Mine do here in the little in my little studio. All my bees have masks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, so Ken and John, hope all is well. It's been a while since I've reached out to you, but I am still faithfully listening to every new show each week. I had a quick question about a package of bees that was installed. Due to COVID earlier on in the year, my package was held up for about three days longer than it should have been while it was stuck in another town. There were a lot of dead bees when I finally got my package, more than normal. I went ahead and installed them the way that you normally would anyway, and I had frames with comb from another hive that I used and put in to help bolster them up. The bees seemed to be doing fine. No beetles, no mites, but, oh, sorry, and the queen's laying pattern is very good, but they just don't seem to be growing in size. They have four out of the eight frames filled up, but they just don't really seem to be expanding any. I have another's that, another hive that's only 48 inches away, these bees I pulled out of a live oak and last June. They spent the winter inside just one box but made it through okay, and I have since added two more boxes to that hive, and they are seriously thriving. Are there any thoughts on how I could boost the other hive and start off um, the, the other hive that started off on a bad foot to get them up and going? As always, any help is appreciated. P.S. I'll come help either of you guys if you ever need any help just so I can help gain the extra knowledge. Thanks, Jared. Um, okay, so 
Ken, you got any solutions for him? There's technically two right answers to this question. Wake up, Ken. <laughs> I, I'm awake. I'm thinking. Because I was asleep I can't when see you were talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I can't see the wheels turning, and you're quiet. So I'm like, wake up, dude. <laughs> All right. So basically, I will I will answer for you. Um, so Ken says, quote, unquote, the two things that could be done to help go through and, and, and help that colony bolster up would be the same thing that we did with the trailer hive and the yeah, cutout. Just move them, yeah. Yeah, you can flip-flop their spaces. So if you wait until midday and, you know, the bees are out doing their thing and you flip-flop the location of those hives, what's going to happen is all the returning foragers from the strong hive are now going to come back to the weaker hive and they'll go through and bolster up that population. Plus, it'll bring in way more resources and it'll help the population go through and actually expand. The bigger colony that is thriving hopefully has plenty of bees if it truly is thriving and doing well and is not going to suffer too much from losing those foragers because hopefully there are solid frames of capped brood inside there that are going to be hatching out soon and that population will immediately rebound. Now, the other option that can be done instead of flip-flopping the hives is to take out one to two frames of solid capped brood, shake all the bees off of them, and put those into the colony that is weaker that needs the help. One deep frame of brood is the same equivalent as the entire package of bees or the amount of bees that should have been in your package when you first received it. So by doing that, you can actually jump. If you put in two deep frames of solid cap brood, you can jump your population up by 20,000 bees within a matter of days. So that will drastically give them the extra bees and it's going to give them open comb that they can turn around and use as well to continue laying as soon as those bees emerge out of there. So that's another way that you can go through and do that to bolster those up. So that is your your quick and short answer on that one. And I like that that one more so than doing the switch uh, because they know that you know those bees are going to smell like the rest of the bees, and that's going to be home. Yeah, when they when they hatch inside there, you know, they they kind of take on the the pheromones and everything that's already there. But the fun thing though on doing the switch is the foragers that's the same concept as drifting. After the foragers have been out and they've been going back and forth and back and forth all day long, mm -hmm. they're tired, they're carrying a lot of food, and if your hives are all identical and they all look the same and they're all facing the same direction in a straight line, your hives in the middle are going to get weaker and weaker and weaker because all of the foragers are going to go back to the hives on the ends because it's a shorter flight. It's like, oh, this one's close enough. I'm tired. I'm done. And they'll start going to those other colonies. Those other colonies on the ends will get big and strong while your ones in the middle get weak. And that's because of drifting. So it's it's a it's using the same mechanics, but using it on purpose to your advantage. You flip-flop their locations. That other one gains those foragers, and those foragers, they're picking up little bits of the smell every time they come back. The other colony allows them to come in because they're bringing resources, and bees will always let you put something in the pantry. It's only if you try to take it out they have a problem. Um, so it, it does work. Um, we are, so we technically we have one other email in here from Mike, Mike and Stacy, and uh, these would be topics potentially so he's got a couple of suggestions in here actually about uh an episode on producing an overwintering nucleus colonies and an episode on sustainable beekeeping that would also potentially go back to doing the the overwintering 
And those are great ideas for future episodes. And and I did respond back and let Mike know that. He did have a question in here, though, about uh, some Russian bees. But I think we will table that one for a future episode as well, because we have been on here for a long time today. And I talk about my Russian bees uh, next time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about your Russians and we can we can tie that all together. So that will actually go really well. I will set that question off over here to the side as a reminder that we did not get to that. Um, but yeah, so there you go, everybody. There is another listener questions episode. And uh, most of those are pretty relevant to the time frames that you know we're currently in right now. And the peak of the nectar flow for most places are coming to the end of the nectar flow for some places. And, you know, swarming and and all that stuff is very relevant. So hopefully that helped everybody out, give you a good idea of what's going on and what to expect. And uh, we will be back with you guys next week with another episode. And then, like we said, the beginning of July, we will have a special interview with Hives for Heroes. So definitely look for that. Um, You got any closing thoughts or wrap ups there, Mr. Ken? Quickly. Just be healthy, be safe. There you go. And be good. That's it. Be healthy, be safe, and be good. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you later. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.